Hi everyone, and welcome to Truth Over News. A recent assessment from the Energy Department found that COVID-19 likely emerged from a Chinese lab. Since that report, the corporate media has pivoted sharply in its coverage of the origin of the pandemic. Previously, any information about a lab origin was rigorously suppressed. But now, corporate media organizations are reporting on the likelihood of a lab origin as if their silence over the past three years had never happened. One media organization that did cover the origin story from the outset is the Epic Times. In April of 2020, Epic TV broadcast a documentary on the lab origin. This show has also laid out the overwhelming evidence for the lab leak scenario. In short, information pointing to a lab leak, which the corporate media now claims to be new, is not new at all. In a special two-part episode, we go back and take a look at all the evidence that was known but not reported. The high likelihood of a lab origin was known from the beginning, but suppressed by a combination of corporate media, science journals, and social media companies. The originator of this massive disinformation campaign was Anthony Fauci, who in early February of 2020 organized a cover-up of lab leak evidence. The media's latest narrative that a lab leak scenario has only become more likely recently due to the emergence of new information is false. The information on lab origin was always available and it shows that from the very beginning, the lab leak theory was the only viable theory. The most striking evidence that has always been known is the fact that a highly unusual coronavirus with engineered looking features appeared on the doorsteps of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the world's premier lab for coronavirus engineering. This peculiar coincidence did not escape the attention of politicians or journalists at the time of the initial outbreak, nor did it escape a hand-picked group of scientists who Fauci had selected to assist in his cover-up scheme. One of those scientists, Ian Lipkin, wrote in a February 11, 2020 email, given the scale of the bad coronavirus research pursued at the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the site of emergence of the first human cases, we have a nightmare of circumstantial evidence to assess. What was also known at the time of the initial outbreak, and is equally troubling, is that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was overseen by a senior Chinese Communist Party official, Yuan Jiming. While it is expected that Chinese organizations such as the Virology Institute are effectively run by the CCP, what makes the situation so much worse is that Fauci's organization, the National Institutes of Allergies and Infectious Disease, knew that the Wuhan lab was directly connected to the CCP. And they also knew that it was Yuan Jing who was the CCP's minder at the lab. On February 9th, 2020, the director of Fauci's stateside lab, James LeDuc of the Galveston National Laboratory, emailed Yuan to alert him to the fact that LeDuc suspected that COVID-19 had leaked out of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. LeDuc implored Yuan to come clean in the spirit of their friendship. LeDuc also asked Yuan a series of probing questions in connection with the lab leak. 
he did not receive a reply from Yuan. Another director at the Wuhan lab was Dr. Shi Zheng Li. Her history of reckless coronavirus experiments was well known at the time, not only to NIAID, but to anyone who cared to search for her many publications on the internet. Shi Zheng Li's obsession with coronaviruses began in 2003, shortly after the original SARS outbreak. Her scholarship from 2004 all the way to 2019 paints an alarming picture of conducting ever more dangerous experiments with ever more advanced biotechnology. Some of that biotechnology came from the United States, and its transfer to China was directly facilitated by Fauci. Specifically, Fauci enabled Xi's access by bestowing prestigious NIAID grants on her lab. This was understood by potential Western collaborators as a seal of approval. Again, this information was not recently uncovered. It was information that was always in the public domain. For instance, in 2007, she published a paper on how to manipulate bad viruses to allow them to attack human cells. In 2008, she's soon-to-be collaborator Peter Daszak of EcoHealth Alliance, the dubious group of so-called virus hunters, received a grant from Fauci to collect bat viruses with the goal of examining them for their potential to infect humans. And then in 2009, the U.S. Agency for International Development established the PREDICT program dedicated to surveilling dangerous animal viruses that could transfer to humans. The PREDICT program would later form a collaboration with Xi Zhengli's Wuhan Institute of Virology. And then in 2010, she published another paper showcasing the Wuhan Institute of Virology's increasing technical prowess, whereby a SARS virus was manipulated to increase infectiousness for humans. The wider public first became aware of the dangers of gain-of-function experiments in 2011, when Fauci funded an experiment that created an airborne version of H5N1 avian influenza. Dismissing the public outcry about the grave risks of such experiments, Fauci penned a Washington Post op-ed, A Flu Virus Risk Worth Taking. In it, Fauci argued that while labs could now create dangerous viruses that did not exist in nature, the benefits supposedly outweighed the risks in the form of insights that were gained. However, there was never any evidence that these experiments provide any civilian benefit or application. Rather, they seem to serve as a playground for scientists to raise their profiles and get grant money, as well as providing a path for developing bioweapons. This may have been part of Fauci's motivation given that after the 9-11 attacks, Fauci was tasked by the Bush administration with building a biodefense strategy for the United States. Fauci's stateside lab in Galveston, which would later play an important part in training staff at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, was established as part of Fauci's biodefense mandate. Again, none of this is new. This was all known. At around the same time that Fauci funded scientists were manipulating dangerous viruses to make them airborne and therefore highly transmissible between humans, another 
another Wuhan resident, Tian Junhua, a virologist at the Wuhan Center for Disease Control and Prevention, started collecting bats from remote locations in China for further study at the Wuhan CDC. This meant that as of 2012, there were two groups of scientists in Wuhan, Xi Li's group and Tian Junhua's group, who were fully committed to working on bat viruses. Tian would later admit that he captured around 10,000 bats from the wild without taking any safety precautions and that he was often sprayed with bat urine and bat blood. It is not known to what extent Nye was involved with Tian, although it is known from numerous co-authored publications that Eddie Holmes, a British virologist with close ties to both Fauci and the Wuhan Institute of Virology, collaborated with Tian in the run-up to the pandemic. Meanwhile, Shi Zheng Li made a big scientific breakthrough in 2013 when she isolated a SARS-like coronavirus that could target human ACE2 cell receptors. A year later, in 2014, Shi Zheng Li made another huge breakthrough when she was awarded a NIAID grant from Fauci via EcoHealth Alliance. EcoHealth President Peter Daszak was recorded in 2016 and then again in 2019 bragging about highly advanced manipulation of SARS viruses carried out at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The prestigious NIAID project gave the Wuhan Institute of Virology much-needed international esteem, which in turn opened the doors to collaboration with Western gain-of-function pioneers, as well as providing access to U.S. biotechnology. Xi's and Dazak's project, titled Understanding the Risk of Bat Coronavirus Emergence, did not explicitly call for gain-of-function experiments to be conducted in Wuhan, but by 2016 such experiments were being conducted under the umbrella of Fauci's grant. This was particularly concerning even at the time as the so-called godfather of gain-of-function experiments, Ralph Barrick of the University of North Carolina, had collaborated with Shi Zheng Li on a study which was published in November of 2015. Shi and Barrick had engaged in the synthetic construction of chimeric mutant and full-length SARS viruses. In other words, they had manufactured artificial viruses put together by combining different parts from other viruses. The Xi and Barrick experiment immediately caused an outcry from other scientists who warned that the coronavirus experiments at the Wuhan Institute of Virology may cause a pandemic. At the time, in November of 2015, Rutgers University biologist Richard Ebright told Nature magazine that the only impact of this work is the creation in a lab of a new, non-natural risk. Again, Ebright was not Monday morning quarterbacking. He said this in 2015. Earlier in 2014, after a public outcry over the virus that was made airborne, as well as after a series of lab accidents at the CDC in Atlanta, President Obama 
instituted a moratorium on gain-of-function experiments. The moratorium led to the cessation of Wuhan lab funding in 2016, when a NIAID program officer discovered that the lab was conducting forbidden gain-of-function work. However, within a few weeks, the work was restarted. It is not known why NIAID reversed itself after initially suspending the work. With the gain-of-function pause out of the way, she and Dazak continued on their quest to create ever more dangerous viruses. A 2017 Wuhan Institute of Virology thesis supervised by Shi Zhengli details how the institute performed experiments that replaced parts of SARS viruses without leaving any traces. Also in 2017, an article published in the journal Nature warned about possible lab leaks from the Wuhan Institute of Virology's new Biosafety Level 4 lab. The article questioned whether it was possible to maintain the required openness of information in China to be able to conduct such high-risk experiments. What the author of the article did not know at the time, a fact that only became known in 2020, is that the Wuhan Institute of Virology did not conduct its coronavirus experiments in the Biosafety 4 lab. Instead, it conducted the work in Biosafety Level 2 lab. The true smoking gun, however, relates to events that unfolded in 2018. These events were not known to the general public at the time of the outbreak in 2020, but they were known to the US government because they involved the US government. They were later disclosed to the public in September of 2021 via a whistleblower who provided a trove of documentary evidence. That documentary evidence proves beyond any doubt that in 2018, Shi Zheng Li of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, Peter Daszak's EcoHealth, and the University of North Carolina's Ralph Barrick collaborated on a research project whose goal it was to insert human-specific furin cleavage sites into SARS virus backbones. In other words, the Wuhan Institute of Virology in 2018 had a blueprint for making a highly unusual virus that looks exactly like the highly unusual virus which later emerged in Wuhan. The Dazak, Barrick, and Shi Li project was pitched to the US military research agency DARPA for funding, but it was rejected by Pentagon scientists due to the inherent risks that the experiment would create a pandemic. While the Pentagon's rejection of the project has been cited as a reason to dismiss the smoking gun evidence, the chairman of the Lancet's COVID commission, Jeffrey Sachs, revealed that the work had already been done by the time that the project was pitched for funding. This is not an unusual occurrence in the arena of science funding, and it aligns with the fact that the blueprint was highly detailed, indicating that, at a minimum, the work was being done while the project was written up for funding. In the following year, Shi Li published several more studies showcasing her lab's prowess. But then, in September of 2019, the Wuhan Institute suddenly deleted its entire database of over 22,000 virus samples. The database of samples had been put together to help scientists trace the source and spread of novel viruses, 
but it was taken down right around the time that a novel virus, COVID-19, started its destructive path in Wuhan. This highly suspicious coincidence was known and noted at the time. After the database was taken offline, a sequence of strange events unfolded in Wuhan. The Virology Institute was reportedly shut down for a number of weeks in October of 2019. At the same time, the US Consul General in Wuhan reported that the city was hit by an unusually vicious flu season. Hospitals also marked an increase in traffic. Three lab workers from the institute are said to have been hospitalized with a COVID-like illness. Huang Yanling, a researcher at the institute who was rumored to be patient zero, suddenly disappeared from public view. Her profile on the institute's website was immediately scrubbed. And then in November, US intelligence officials warned that a contagion was sweeping through China's Wuhan region. Varying reports put the date of the first confirmed COVID-19 case on November 17th, December 1st, or December 8th. Notably, all these dates precede the alleged superspreader event at Wuhan's Huanan seafood market. Bazak, who appears to have been unaware of unfolding events, confirmed in a December 9th interview that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was experimenting with coronaviruses, some of which get into human cells in the lab. Remarkably, within three weeks, Dazak completely changed his tune when, on December 31st, in a 19-tweet thread, he claimed that the Wuhan outbreak, of which no one else knew at the time, was the result of a natural virus. The timing of Dazak's tweet storm is notable, as Wuhan authorities did not report any problems at all until the day of Dazak's statement. The statement made by Chinese authorities did not even specify that a virus was involved, only stating that they had ruled out common bacterial and viral pathogens. It appears as if Dazak knew too much and was preemptively shifting the blame to nature. And with that, the cover-up started in earnest. More on that in our next episode. Thanks for joining us in today's episode of Truth Over News.